Cheerscast is part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Hello. Hey, Diane. Remember that lunatic who tried to strangle you while you're doing that scene from Othello up there? Yeah. What was his name? Andy Schroeder? What about him? It says here that he escaped from the state. (laughs) Whoa, she does remember. Hello and welcome back to Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. I'm your host, Ryan Daly, and joining me once again is friend of the show, Marlene Stemmy. Hello, Marlene. What's up? Hey, Ryan. Um, I'm happy to be back. Happy to have you back. It's been a while. Um, I'm excited. It's a new season. Yeah, and this is one of my um, one of my favorite episodes of the early years, too, so I'm excited to discuss it. Cool, cool. I'm glad to hear that. Well, I... I my memory is you called this one possibly even before I started season three. I think once I started talking to you, oh, did you I? Were, I, I think you called this one way in advance. Oh, yeah. It's likely. It's likely that I did. Yeah. All right. Well, then let's get to it. Uh, we are now on season four, episode five, Diane's Nightmare, written by David Lloyd, directed by Jim Burroughs. The original air date was Thursday, October 24th, 1985. <laughs> Hey listeners, this is Ryan jumping in with a quick correction. I got the air date wrong in my notes. I confused this episode with the previous episode that came out on October 24th. This episode that Marlene and I are talking about actually came out on October 31st, 1985. And that is relevant because in about three minutes from now, you'll hear me talk about how this episode's kind of horror theme at the beginning is appropriate for a Halloween episode. Well, in fact, it aired on Halloween, so that was even more appropriate than I thought. Anyway, just had to make that correction, and now back to the show. It's a dark and stormy night when Diane hears that Andy Schroeder, the convicted murderer who once took her to dinner and once tried to strangle her, has escaped from the state mental hospital. As she frets about Andy, one by one the rest of the gang goes down to the heretofore unknown wine cellar, but nobody comes back up. After the lights and the phones go out, Diane is almost panicking that something terrible is happening in the cellar. Sam convinces her that the others are just pulling a prank to scare her, and she has to go down there to confront them. And down into the dark she goes, only to find Andy waiting for her, smiling politely as always. With a scream, Diane wakes on the couch in Sam's office. The whole thing was just the latest in a series of terrible nightmares ever since she learned that Andy was released from the hospital weeks ago. Fraser tells her he's been counseling Andy ever since. When he's about to drive her home, Andy surprises them at the door. Andy has come to cheers begging Diane's forgiveness. He tells her that he's fallen in love with a woman, but he hasn't been honest about his past. He asks the indulgence of the gang at cheers to help him perpetuate his lies so that he can start a new life with Cynthia. 
Diane and Fraser are reluctant to go along at first, but Sam convinces them it's a good idea. When Cynthia arrives, they're shocked to hear the details of Andy's lies. That Cheers belongs to him, for one thing, and that Sam is an ex-con, Fraser is a compulsive kleptomaniac, and Diane wanted to have Andy's child. While pretending to be the owner of the bar, Andy gets Woody to cash out everything in the register and give the money to him. Diane pleads with Sam to stop Andy from robbing him, but Sam tells her to go along with it. After Andy leaves, Diane is ready to call the cops, but Andy comes back, rewarding Sam's trust with all the money he had taken. He thanks them all for their friendship and help, and bids them farewell. Diane goes to Sam's office to apologize for not trusting him. He passes it off casually with quotes from Shakespeare and William Blake. Then he smokes a pipe and plays an opera that he has been composing. Diane is so taken with his sudden artistic change in Sam that she comes on to him. At which point, she wakes up again, having had yet another dream. She confirms that Sam is not secretly a sophisticated genius. That part was just Diane's fantasy. All right, Marlene, that was probably my longest synopsis of Cheers cast to, to date, but uh, this is pretty a uh, pretty plot-centric and detail-oriented episode. Um, and, and before I before I ask you what you thought, I did want to mention the uh, the original air date for this one. As I said, was October twenty fourth. So I like that this was almost kind of a Halloween episode, uh, kind of like an unofficial mm-hmm. one. That I like that. Right. But anyway, what did you think? I mean, you you liked this episode, obviously. You called it. What do you think about Diane's nightmare? I love it. And I have to say that I really enjoyed listening to your recount of the episode, even though I, you know, I've watched it many times at this point, I still was entranced. And it goes back to what you said at the very beginning, that it was a dark and stormy night. That's, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of people think of that as kind of the, the trite beginning of a ghost story, but I've just always loved it. I love that as a plot pretty much in any show, but then the way that they do that here, I think is, it's just so much fun. I love the spooky atmosphere. I think they do that really well. I think it's just surreal enough to still be, you know, very much a Cheers episode. It's not overdone to the point that it takes you out of the episode. But I I really tend to enjoy those sorts of things. So to see that in Cheers was a delight for me. It has some of the just the greatest lines. In fact, one of my favorite lines of the entire series is in this episode. save that for when we come you know toward the end of our podcast here right. but i just have some fantastic <laughs> lines and quotes um you know i i like this entire persona that diane has dreamed up of sam you know once we get to the end of that scene that's a fantastic scene i like that it's framed with this word game that they're playing at the bar from the teaser to the end i think that's hilarious and I, I just like the idea of them playing that in the bar and that this dream that Diane had, you know, took place. The whole episode takes place within that time. So I think that's really interesting, too. Um, and then uh, uh, I was going to say Derek McGrath and Nancy Cartwright are really good. And then it's just it's another David Lloyd episode. I feel like I've had a few of these with you. And there's just a little something extra special, I think, in some of his episodes. You know, he wrote the two previous episodes with. Andy Andy and it's it's just a good third part to that I think 
Yeah, yeah, it really is. And uh yeah, it's especially it's it's an unconventional episode, like structurally like it's mm-hmm. it's weird to have for one thing any kind of like dream or fantasy sequence in the show. We haven't really seen much like that and then to have right. a dream within a dream. But yeah, I liked it. I mean, you you mentioned right from the teaser, they kind of tell you they they give away the gag that Diane went into the office to go to sleep. So they're, exactly. they're kind of telling you everything that happens after that is kind of within her dream, but they don't let you know that until the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that's really kind of really smart writing, and I like that. Um, yep. So yeah, yeah. in the teaser, it, they, they mention that uh, Diane has gone off to sleep, but meanwhile, Cliff and Woody are playing Boggle, or like this word game or something similar to that. Right. Um, and <laughs> right. naturally, when you have the, these, these two squaring off, Cliff is always going to win because he makes up words. And Woody uh-huh. just doesn't know better. So. And the words he makes up, too. I mean, I don't think it was necessarily the point that they're sort of dreamlike, but they are. And But, it, I mean, it's Cliff, so it could be any word, you know. But I like that. Was it Flork? He, he <laughs> won with, I think, Flork. Was it Furred and Snarf? Something yeah. like that. Yeah. And, and the, the great, Flork is Like we were talking about the animal, the great horned Mjern, or something <laughs> like that. Like I'm trying to think of how that would I even be spelled. Talk about- <laughs> I almost can't talk about it because it makes me laugh so much. It tells me he has to be tenacious, like the Great Horn Mirror. <laughs> yeah. Like the way he pronounces uh, it or something. I was like, there, there's mm-hmm. a Y in there or something, like how, however he spells it. But. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then Woody says that he almost, or they talk about how you almost won last time. You just missed it by a cat's pluck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I like the idea that they have this this vocabulary of words that, that Cliff is introduced you know from cheating in the game i guess when they they played it so that's i think that's really funny yeah and then the kind of the one part in the teaser and almost in the whole episode that i i found a little bit weak was when sam mentioned that diane went to sleep we we cut to Frazier, who's sort of separate, like on the other side of the bar, apart from the action. Mm-hmm. And he says, "I wonder if she's dreaming about me." And kind of realizes that sounds foolish. And he's like, "Yeah, fat chance." Like he's almost like giving himself the Carla line, like mocking himself yeah. before anybody else does. Mm-hmm. And that just kind of like struck me as like that's that, that's kind of like the weakest part of that, this. But it, I wonder if they just felt like they needed to show that Frazier is there because the next time we see him is when he rushes into Runs Diane's into rescue office. with Sam in the office. So That's they kind of they, they kind of had to remind us that he's there and that he's part of the bar because he wasn't yeah. a regular at the not yet, even though we've seen him quite a bit. That's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. That is the part of the teaser, especially the teaser that's the weakest, I think. And I would say in the episode itself, the office scene that we'll get to with Frasier and Diane, I don't think it's bad by any means, but I definitely think it's, you know, the part that's the probably the least interesting to me is when Diane and Frasier, I mean, it's necessary for the narrative, I suppose, but... It's, it's not the it's most, much, not the, the Frasier parts are not necessarily my favorite. I agree. It, it feels much more one. expository. Like mm-hmm. they're they're mm-hmm. like that scene is basically just giving information and everything like that. But you know, I, like, yeah, like I, I don't want to say their chemistry is off, but it just I don't know. It just it feels a little bit off that scene. But yeah, yeah I agree with you. So. Um, one other thing I would say in the teaser is the part when Sam I think says that Diane is catching a few winks. And then Carla, doesn't she say Diane couldn't catch winks if she walked naked through a troop frame? <laughs> I thought that was a, I thought that was funny. Like that was a good little bit for Carla to have in there. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so yeah, once after the teaser, once we come back in, and now we we will find out eventually that now we are firmly in Diane's first her first, first. level dream. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm thinking about how Inception ordered the dreams. Which which step which like step are we in? Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, so we're in it and. Interesting, like it kind of like it, the bar isn't empty. There's maybe a dozen people there, and almost all of them are wearing raincoats, but they're all kind of the same. It's like this weird beige thing. Oh, that's interesting because I think I think there are interesting surreal things about the extras that I noticed in this episode. But for some reason, I didn't pick that out that they're all wearing the same thing. Yeah, because even I'm like to watch um, it again. One of the, the the tertiary barflies, the uh, Tim, uh, comes mm-hmm. in. He's the one who asks. Uh, well, first of all, they're talking about how much it's raining. Cliff tells what he basically gives him right. the postal carrier's oaths about how neither rain nor <laughs> sleet nor whatever kind of goes through. We'll, Dark we'll stop, night. And, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll stop them from carrying out their duty. And Tim comes in. And he asks Cliff if he can jump his car, and Cliff tells him that he's like, "What? And catch my death? Hit the bricks?" Which was, which was a common <laughs> right. thing for Cliff to say in the first couple seasons. I think he, he yes, said hit the was. bricks a couple times. But. Um, and then Norm walks in, and Norm gets a good entrance when Sam is like, "Still pouring, Norm." Still pouring. And he's like, that's funny. I was about to ask you the same thing. Yeah, yeah, but they, that's true. They all do look like they're kind of wearing that same thing in the bar. Um, so the first part of it, I want to. I'm interested to see what you think about this because when the episode first starts, a man walks in the bar, and it's an extra. But the way that he comes in. To me, it makes it seem like he's going to be a focal point of the action, almost as though he's going to be one of the characters that comes into the bar to become part of the story. Because he comes in and he stops and he's kind of shaking off an umbrella, I think, and he sort of looks around and he's right there in the center. Um, and then he's, an, you know, in the bar for the rest of the episode, like well, in the parts that have extras, you know, where there, where there are bar patrons in the bar, he's in the, the bar. But it's almost like a misdirection to me. It's a little bit... I don't know, a little bit like Alfred Hitchcock. It just has that spooky element to it. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about that first man that's in there? I do, I do. And it's weird because that's one of the things that drew my attention. It's like, yeah, there are, there are people in the bar at the beginning of the scene. Mm-hmm. And slowly, as you notice, like as as people st- – like because first, you know, Woody like goes down to the wine cellar to get some after like Carla orders. Um, and that's like – which is basically in their – Closet slash stock room under the stairs. That's kind of like the right. one thing about the bar that like the the architecture of the structure kind of like never really clarified is a bar like that size would have would have to need a huge stock room and everything. And where is it? Right, right. Um, so Diane mentions that on her day off, he had some people you know in the like checking on something, and they found this old stairway you know that goes down into a, a wine cellar that they never discovered, and this used to be a private house, and they kept some oh, they basically layers it with a ghost story type of touch, right? Yeah, there's like a right. turn of the screw thing <laughs> reference in there. Mm-hmm. Yes, that, that's that's a good point too. Yeah, but did you notice though, as each person goes down in there, it almost seems like there are fewer people in the bar because yes, it's fairly yes. crowded at the beginning. Yeah, and then by the time that Cliff goes down there, and there are people, it's not like, you know, people are leaving, but there are also people that are sitting at the tables and talking. It wouldn't have suddenly left. Yes. And within a matter of minutes or seconds, they nobody is there. Yeah, it's a really subtle and, and, and mm-hmm. like subconscious effort of making Diane feel more and more alone and more and more vulnerable. And everything's yeah. sort of like closing in on her. It's, I mean, for being just like a sitcom, it's 
unnerving and it's it's a nice little bit of kind of horror directing in that sense yeah that's what i thought too so yeah i i know i i picked up on that right away that like the the extras in the background people we don't see them really leave but right. like as as the scene progresses they're just not there anymore and we do see our yeah. core cast one by one and, and it's innocent enough like like they're like hey like uh Woody didn't come back with a newspaper. Carla's like, all right, I'll go get him or whatever. He probably got lost. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, that's when Norm is looking at the newspaper and he's like, hey, remember that guy, Andy? It looks like he got, <laughs> he escaped from the statement. And before he can even finish, Diane lets out the scream. And I love Sam and, Diane, Sam and Norm look at each other like, hey, she does remember. Yeah. She remembers. <laughs> right. Yeah. And and then they go back to talking about the storm, though. You know, it's a, it's funny that they do that, and the way they do it is, you know, just kind of in like typical Norm and Cliff and so forth fashion. But I thought that the fact that they're also interested in the storm, like like hey, it's some storm, and then Cliff mentions it to Norm when Norm comes in. Like each one of them kind of mentions it to the next one, you know. And then Carla wants to see the newspaper to see what they say about the storm. I just think that that's, I think that's kind of surreal too. It's very kind of horror movie-ish that they're also focused on the storm mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know yeah um yeah so so i like that but then when diane's concerned about this <laughs> the murderer that tried to kill her yeah. you know in homicidal hand they're like oh yeah what about that storm and go back to it without being super obvious about it they are basically recreating a campfire ghost story type of thing like the like mm-hmm. murder mystery thing that you always hear like the same type of tropes like the don't go into the basement or don't go into yeah, the yeah, yeah. type of thing where one by one just people disappear and they're doing that but because it's a sitcom it's the fourth season of this show where like you're cracking up you love these characters and everything you're not expecting anything like this right so it's it's weird and everything and then of course the lights go out and mm-hmm. and you know, Norm, they're like figuring it out. And you have him asking if the taps still work in the <laughs> yeah, dark. So it's funny, you know, and it's got like, it's, and that's the thing, like they're in character. That's Norm. That's of course what he's going to be concerned about. But the lights are out for a long time for like a TV show. Yeah. <laughs> lights being out. It's, yeah. And they hear, a bit. they hear the Norm scream and everything like that. It's a, this blood curdling scream and, and Diana's like freaking out. She's like, what is going on? And, and Sam is kind of the voice of reason and the voice of what the audience should by now be thinking, which is they're right. just pulling her leg. This is just a prank on her because she she's freaking out and everything, and they're just going to, like, you know, yeah, this whole thing is just an act to get her to go down into the dark. Yeah. So, yeah, down she goes and everything, and we don't even see it, but she goes down, and then the candle burns out again, so we're plunged into darkness right. the second time. And did you hear, like, there's, like, water dripping yeah. Yeah. on the stairs, too? Yeah. It's everything, just like yeah, the the yeah, all of the the scenery and the atmosphere, and everything this really plays in, and then we just get the light flicker and we just see Annie's face going, "Hi there," which is brilliant because she she gave him that line beforehand when she's talking about yeah. him, like she's like you know he's always like friendly with a friendly "Hi there," and she kind of like does that impression of him. So once yeah. he comes out and says that for anybody who doesn't remember Andy, if you haven't seen the those episodes, so it's really really good. It's a nice intro. It is, and I think that she described him as a like a cherub or something earlier, <laughs> yeah, and it comes true. back yeah. in a minute in the second dream. Like I think either she or someone else, maybe Fraser, refers to him as a cherub. Yeah, she screams. She wakes up. She's on the couch in Sam's office, and Sam and Fraser run in there really fast. <laughs> like, That's what. Yeah. Did you have I that note that. too? Like, like she's barely screaming, and they're like they had to have like they had to be like outside the door or something. The door. Mm-hmm. So it right. kind of so does as she's screaming. Yeah. 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 It kind of doesn't yeah, so make that sense. Yeah, doesn't make sense. 
right. until until you start thinking about it. Well, this is still part of the dream, so mm-hmm. the transition doesn't have to make total logical sense. Yeah, Sam would have been behind the bar. He would have had to run, and I think he would have run over if he were screaming, obviously. But he wouldn't have been right there, right? You know? And I, I mean, it's not just there's no way that's like poor direction because they're so good. Right. <laughs> so it's just another one of those little clues. So she, t- she like she's like she was describing everything in the bar and what happened to everybody. And Fraser was like, "What about me?" She's like, "Oh, you weren't in the, the dream." <laughs> but she had to like she <laughs> says, "By the way, Sam, you were beastly to me." Beastly. Yeah. Yeah. She tells Fraser that he wasn't there. And meanwhile, you think Sam hasn't moved on from that description. He's like beastly. Can you be specific? <laughs> right, right. Which is it's fun too because that goes. And I just thought about this, like the magnificent pagan beast comment that she oh, yeah. relays to him in the pilot. Yes. Kind of goes with that. Yeah. Yeah. And the only thing I can think about Frasier from what you were talking about in the teaser is him saying, is she dreaming about me? Fat chance, you know, or whatever. Um, is that in this, I mean, I guess it connects to her saying, it, you know, in this second level of dream that she's, he wasn't in the dream. So he is at least correct about that mm-hmm. in her dream. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually. Yeah. You know, so then we'd get the scene after Sam goes back out and Frazier kind of tells her that he's been seeing Andy and he's been making progress and she needs to kind of get over this this fear of him, which to her last encounter with him, he tried to murder her in, fr- in front of people. So, right. Yeah. Like you, like that's for, you know, they, like the show rarely deals with traumatic situations and rarely mm-hmm. deals with, rarely has to deal with the fallout of that. But yeah, Diane, she would she would need therapy and, and after that situation she would want to talk to somebody and and this would be a, a deep trigger for her to find out that the guy who last tried to kill her has been released and that Frazier has been seeing him and not telling her about it, it would be a, quite a betrayal right. right that's what I think and advocating for her to I mean throughout you know this second dream he's advocating for her to talk to him and then to give him another chance and he's almost you know, out in the bar scene, he's almost reprimanding her for not being like giving enough to Andy, Andy, you know, um, which I didn't think was appropriate. Right. Right. Which yeah. again, is that, is that the, just part of the, the dream logic or something like that, that she feels sort of beset by him or, or yeah. But that Frazier's like that maybe. Yeah. In yeah. his practice. Yeah. That's right. possible. Uh, <laughs> Carla, of course, wants to know if she was the one who killed Diane in her dream or if she was helping out in any way. Helping in any way, right? <laughs> so, that was a really good line. I wondered, too, and I didn't really have a chance to notice all of this, but I wonder if the people in the bar in like the ex- exterior or interior dream, whichever way it's going, are the same ones that were in the other one. Mm. I didn't, you know, I noticed like some repeat people, like the first guy that had come in that we talked about that was, you know, the initial character in the bar mm. is still there at the bar. But I just wondered if that was, you know, kind of subtly set up if, if she repeated the people in both dreams. I didn't look that closely. I might have to go back and see and compare the faces of the, the extras from the first one. And I would think they're probably, you know, like booking them for like re- recording whatever at the week that they recorded. I would think, but maybe. Oh, yeah. So then Frazier, of course, like as we're setting up to like the commercial break, is trying to get her to to understand that, you know, 
Andy Andy is like as hell uh, you know harmless as whatever and and she can she has no fear of him and he's going to drive uh, Diane home so she feels better and as soon as they open right. the door Andy just walks right in with his again the same the third time hi there, hi there. <laughs> and, and this time it's Frazier who's taken aback and screams I think they all scream I think yeah. doesn't Diane scream and I yeah. think Andy may scream a little yeah. bit too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then Fraser says something about how Diane needs a little TLC, tender loving crane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. Yeah. So then we get the, as it comes back, Diane is seated and maybe a little bit sedated as Andy is pitching her <laughs> and trying to describe the whole thing how he's fallen in love with this wonderful girl. But there is a problem, and I will come back to that line <laughs> about there being a problem when we get to the home runs. <laughs> <laughs> that's, my, that's my second place. Okay, all right, that's good. Yeah. So, oh, God, that's good. But he hasn't told her that he's an ex-con. He begs him to go along, and he's just asking for the second chance that society promised him. And right. they're, they're hesitant, but Sam is the one who pulls Frazier and Diane aside and asks if, you know, Andy is really curious, if, if Frazier is confident in his rehabilitation, basically throwing mm-hmm. it back on Frazier. Have you done your job or not? Have you, right, have you helped right. this guy? Yeah. Um, and, and, and he's like, because if, if us helping him can give him the, the closure that he needs and then get them all out of their life, then Diane will feel better. And Frazier has this great, sometimes out of the mouths of babes, Sam. <laughs> and Sam, of course, not getting it. He's like, hey, we'll talk about women later. Yeah. Right. So I had a couple of things I was going to ask you about on this one. Mm-hmm. Did you notice when Diane, before they, before Sam and Frazier and Diane walk over to talk at the side, when Diane's at the table, She's framed. It's an interesting. It's almost like she's in an interrogation, which again, like to the dreamlike atmosphere of the episode, I thought that that really went well because she's sort of sitting down, like low, and like looking up toward him. And mm-hmm. I just thought that was interesting framing of her. And then the other thing was when she gets up to go. I think it's when she gets up to go and talk to Sam and Fraser. She kind of reaches back and stretches her purse off the table and takes it with her. <laughs> and I think she did that exact same thing. I think it was in Diane's perfect date when they're all four sitting at the table. There's some moment when she like does that same motion and snatches her purse off the table. So I thought that was a really, you know, cool connection to that episode. As they agree to do it, Andy is about to prep them on the lies that he has told Cynthia when she comes in early. So he doesn't get a chance to now, all the lies that he's told them are going to be spontaneous for the group. And as you mentioned, Cynthia played by Nancy Cartwright a.k.a. the voice of Bart Simpson. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I was like looking up on, on trivia, and I'm pretty sure almost everybody connected to Cheers did a voice on on The Simpsons at one point. But Nancy Cartwright mm-hmm. is the only one of the main cast of The Simpsons who ever appeared on the show. Okay. So, yeah. That's interesting. And I didn't know if she had done any other act, like, you know, physical i guess or whatever i don't know what the term is other than like you know the opposite of voice acting or the yeah like on camera stuff voice acting. Um, yeah exactly I, I, yeah I on she, camera yeah i know she did like this because I, I, mean, I mean this is still this is 85 the simpsons didn't debut until 89 i think was when mm-hmm. it started on the tracy Ullman show so that's still years away right um, but um so of course the first thing she gives andy a big hug and she's like i love your bar <laughs> and that's yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, the, the yeah, she diff- is a she's a piece of work. Just her enthusiasm is is great for this scene. Yes, yeah. But, 
Yeah. And of course, we find out that, you know, according to, to what Andy has been telling her, that Sam is the poor ex con that Andy benevolently took pity on and hired him mm-hmm. to give him a second chance, even though Sam was a flasher. A flasher. <laughs> that was his crime. Um, He's like, well, I always say, if, what is it? Like, if, you, if you've got it, yeah. why not? And, and yeah, Diane shuts him off. She's like, Sam's talking. No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but meanwhile, she she finds out that she or Diane finds out that according to Andy, she was hung up on him and wanted to have his child. And mm-hmm. I, I love the way like Diane coaxes coaxes the story out of. She's like, oh, did he? What did he? Whatever did he say about me? <laughs> poor, poor Diane. Yeah. <laughs> right. And of course, Fraser is the poor wretch that Andy has been treating and, and counseling and everything to get over his and terrible Fraser's- affliction. Fraser's face when he because he's shaking his hand and he's got that kind of smile, you know, just the way his face freezes when um, Fraser says that about the poor wretch you've been counseling. I thought it was really funny too. Yeah. And the other guy's like, "Yeah, what's what's the problem, Fraser? What, yeah, what's what your is terrible <laughs> ailment that you've been treating?" And we find out that he was a kleptomaniac, and, uh, and in fact, he stole this suit and everything. He's like, "Well, you know, the, I can't say about the pants suit, but these hot. pants are pretty hot." <laughs> Trying to laugh it off. Um, and then, yeah, so Andy gets Woody to cash out the register and everything and gets all the money for his trip with Snoop. And Norm is like, how about uh, tearing up my beer chance since you're never going to be here anymore? So, yeah. yeah. And he, he tells him, did you know that? Well, he tells him, like, to tear him up yourself. But then Cliff asks the same, and he's like, not a chance. You know? So <laughs> yeah. even in Diane's dream, like, Norm is still... He's the popular one, even with the, you know, the murderer. <laughs> right, right. Norm gets <laughs> the good special treatment. Cliff does he's not. Right, yeah. right. Um, and then I was also going to mention like how Woody is trying to be so helpful through all of this. He's like, because Sam's <laughs> like, we might have like, what was it like fifty or a couple hundred? It was some like low amount of money. Mm-hmm. I was like, are you kidding? We must have a thousand dollars in here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I just thought the owner should know. Wink, wink. You know, <laughs> right? Yeah. And and Diana's like, okay, enough is enough. He's going to take all of your money, Sam. And Sam was like, no, 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 just let let this play out and everything, and stopping her. And they're about to leave, and Carla <laughs> just stops Cynthia just at the door. And she's like, hey, I love your choker. <laughs> but I'm not wearing one. You will be. You will be. <laughs> that was really good, too. Yeah. Carla uh, got, for not being a major character, Carla got some very good lines in this episode, I thought. I feel like by this season, that's been pretty consistent. Like, I, I feel like they're, they've pretty much solidified like the, the what they can do with her jokes, how far they can take mm, her, mm-hmm. where it's yeah. funny and it's mean-spirited to be true but it doesn't make her unlikable it's not so cruel that you're like all right let's do less of carla i feel like they've they've evened out and they know exactly what pitch to play her at yeah that's a good point and she has a moment with diane coming up too when when diane is trying to apologize to sam and says how could i have been so wrong and carla (laughs) says a lifetime of practice (laughs) and she's carla's just like right there cleaning up glasses or whatever so it's always like she's passing by or doing something else and Mm -hmm. gets one of these lines off yeah because because diane says she's asking sam don't you get tired of being wrong as soon as and then right after that andy walks back in and it's like making her Mm -hmm. look the fool and um, and then she goes to apologize to Sam, but he kind of strangely ignores her and walks right back to the office, kind of like leads her there. And, and she goes in to follow. And then this is where, uh, you know, he, he, you know, quotes Shakespeare and then apo- right. talks about the apology according to quotes Blake. 
and he puts on this smoking jacket and a smoke from a right. pipe. And he's looking at a, a musical score when she comes in, when he talks about the quality of Mercy is not strained and so forth. He's yeah. looking over a score. And he, and he serves her chamomile tea that he just like, pulls out of nowhere. Right. And I like the part when he gets the um, the William Blake book out of the closet and he reads the like, and throughout eternity, I forgive you and you forgive me. And then he does this little like slide of his hand up and down the book. Like he's kind of rubbing it or patting it and puts it Way. There was really, just something really about that gesture that was it was formal, but it was just really funny too. And they did a great job with that. As we will see, because by this point, like once she starts playing, he starts playing the opera that he's written, and he does, like compares it to the two. It's based on the Old Testament, and he like, <laughs> it's got essences of Mahler and, and something yeah. else. And he's just it's like, like the pesky insouciance of Poulenc, who I, yeah. whom I've never heard. But I, then it was like the brooding intensity of Mahler, and it was. <laughs> Based on the Old Testament, yeah. I just I thought <laughs> and then, that was so funny. And then uh, she just throws she throws herself at him. She pushes, the, clears the desk, and she's like, "Let me be the instrument you play okay, on." This is, this is my is that, okay. I'll, I'll let you yeah. I'll let yeah. you say the line because it's, it's brilliant. But we'll get we'll come back to that. Okay. One. The um, other part that it would be all, that would be home run worthy were that not my home run. That line coming up is when he puts on the um, the red velvet smoking jacket. <laughs> And as he's putting it on and he has the pipe in his mouth, he's like, you really didn't believe that buffoonish facade that I've been perpetrating for the benefit of my blue-collar clientele, did you? Yeah. <laughs> she just can't believe So I think I've remembered that buffoonish facade ever since I saw this when I was a child, probably, because I don't know how else I would have come across that term. <laughs> right, right. And once, I mean, like, she, she wakes up, her, well, Sam wakes her up as she's, you know, kissing him in her dream, and mm-hmm. about to take this into, like, the realm of a fantasy. So you gotta, gotta wonder, like, at this point, like, his sudden transformation, who exactly is the Sam that she's dreaming about? Like, obviously, mm-hmm. it's, it's got, he's got the physique, it's, it's, it's the Sam that she has all this attraction and sexual chemistry with, but... Is he part Frasier? Is he part Sumner? Is this like a composite of herself and like the the elitism and the the cultural sophistication, like the musical talent, the sort of smugness? Uh, like, like how would you describe the character that he becomes in her dream? I don't know if it's a, a different case. I think this. I think Sumner would be closer to Frasier, to be honest, because I think Sumner has that sort of confidence. Or whatever it is that Fraser lacks. So if I had to pick somebody else, I think it would say somewhere. But I don't think it's necessarily someone else combined with Sam. I think it's this image that she had built up of who she was either, you know, idealizing him to be or who she was kind of, you know, in a way kind of training him to be who when they were dating in season into, yeah. two. Exactly. Exactly. And then just like a step beyond that, because obviously she's not expecting <laughs> Like the the hot tea to come out of the desk and all of these things that make no sense whatsoever at this point, you know. Um, I think it's an interesting question. I do think Sam, just as regular Sam, and I think it's how Ted Danson, just how he is or how he plays him, has kind of a it's a it's a very appealing air of sophistication because it's not highbrow or haughty, but there's just something about him that's a little bit more formal or that's not, you know. I mean, he's supposed to be a jock, but he doesn't really always behave that way you know like his physicality isn't quite that way i don't know how exactly to explain it but he has just his gestures are a little bit more refined and so i think that that plays well into the sam that she's imagining so i think actual sam has a little bit of that um 
but yeah, I think it's just this this imagination, like overblown imagination of what she has been trying to make him become. I think it, I think it's notable also that it's not just that he's now cultured and well read and he can quote these things in, in context and do these things. He's smarter than her in this scene. She has imagined and, him mm-hmm. as as her intellectual superior. He corrects yeah. her and grammar. emotionally more mature. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Emotionally yeah. more mature too. You're right. And, and I mean that. I, I mean. Frazier and Sumner were like, and I just, I keep coming back to them because they were her exes that we've seen in the show that had an important part of her life in bringing her to this moment other than Sam. Mm -hmm. And they have some similarities and some differences, but certainly that, that level of elitism and sophistication, they were also superiors to her, um, either academically or social in in terms of class and station. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's kind of a type that she's drawn to, like not just an intellectual really evil, interesting. but does she secretly yeah. want somebody who is smarter than her? I, I don't know. I think she does. I think that I didn't think about that. I think that's a really interesting point because the people that she's dated or been engaged to or what have you on the show are either, you know, clearly superior her to her in some way, like you said, like an intellect or in station or something that, has some sort of intellectual or social approval attached to it, or they are well, like in some ways, well beneath her, you know, mm-hmm. like there's when she threatens, what was it? Was it snow job? When she talks about like the clerk at the grocery store, just, oh, I, yeah. it's just, it's like a one way or the other, it seems like. And I think that's very interesting that you're talking about. Does she want someone that's intellectually superior to her? Because there's also the side of her in other episodes when she's very, feminist and seems like she would be like whatever you would consider progressive to be and so forth. But when she talks about herself in her own life, you know, she always or often brings up kind of a tr- sort of a traditional role, you know, and then the man that she sees herself with is sort of the traditional male role, I think. And so I don't know. I think that's an interesting conundrum in her character overall, but I think it's really interesting that it would play into this dream, you know, in such a, like an interesting and over, I keep saying interesting, but it really is, you know, um, and fun, overblown way in the arts too, because that does seem to be that something that she wants is to be in that, maybe in that sort of secondary role. I don't know. Sure. The, sub, just, the subconscious. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. So then, yeah. So Sam wakes her up and everything. Her first question is, you don't by any chance have a silk smoking jacket. And my runner up for my, for my home, for my favorite line is Sam's reaction to that, which is just this very cocky kind of like, like strutting and like shaking his head. He's like, hey, I'm smoking in any jacket. And, he, yeah. and he's very proud of himself when he comes up with that line. You can see yeah. it on his face. He's like smiling. Oh, yeah. Like, he's like, who yeah. are you but kidding? Then he kind of shakes your hand and if, yeah. yeah. Sam goes out Did to you. Did you notice to, too no. that he, like, in the dream when she starts kissing him, he taps the pipe on the table? Yes. And so that has to be the knock that woke her up yeah, in the office. Yeah. Signaling the transition. Yeah. Yeah. That's like yeah. She, she inserts that that detail into the dream because it's an exterior, an external, sorry, uh, force that's kind of intruding on the dream, that sound effect. And then Sam gets called out to settle another thing with their, their boggle tournament or their word game or something. So leaves Diane alone and, right. and she finds the pipe sitting on his desk. And for this moment, there's this moment of doubt until she smells it and realizes it's not tobacco. It's a bubble. It's, it blows bubbles. <laughs> right. Yeah. I like that she picked that. She kind of, you know, she sort of smiled and rolled her eyes a little bit, I think when she smelled it and then she picks it up and plays with it. So I, I like that playful ending for her. Yeah. And I guess she maybe she saw the pipe on the desk and subconsciously worked it into the dream, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. 
again, like, it's just, it's a very unusual episode. I mean, to like focus on the dreams and to do these types of things, but it's very playful. I like the, the, the abnormal structure about it of having a dream within a dream and really as just mm-hmm. an excuse to bring Derek McGrath back for, for one more turn at Andy. Um, right. I don't think we see him again until the last season. Um, but yeah, to, to bring him back in a, in a way that makes sense. I mean, you, you have that character, like why, like after he tries to kill her, what else can you do with that character? Um, but they bring him back in a way that's, right, that's, that's fun and playful and, and funny. Right. Um, and they, yeah, it's, it's, so it's nice to have him back for this kind of interesting, but funny episode. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I think that there's not a way they could have brought him back as a, sort of a you know in a traditional narrative story you know and it wouldn't there wouldn't have been a point to it it wouldn't have served anything else i don't think for the cheers characters but this really does yeah all right uh getting into some of the superlative categories for one thing for for norm's tab just because of everything else that was going on the the weird uh structure of this one he only had two beers this episode uh which brings him up to 307 for the series so far (laughs) wow uh, who is your employee of the week? Who did you think was the standout performance? Oh, so I went back and forth. Diane's episode, in a way, I mean, she is the one that generated the entire story by having the dream. And I really like some of her, you know, her, um, even the expression at the end that I just mentioned when she's blowing the pipe and so forth. And just the, you know, the beginning when she's kind of hysterical quickly in the bar and the way that she was used as sort of the, what would you call it like in a horror movie? Not the damsel in distress, but she's kind of like the one that's becoming the yeah. subject of any unease, you know, like uneasier and uneasier, I guess, as they go forward. So, uh, I think the scream woman basically is what they, like, they start yeah. calling it in like the 90s when they start coming back with like the horror movies like Scream. And I know what you did last summer that had like mm-hmm. a meta commentary on the genre. I think they called yeah. it like the scream woman, like the Jamie Lee Curtis type okay. who's like the lead of the. That makes sense. Um, but I have to say, I feel like Sam stole it with that scene in the end. <laughs> I think I've, I'm hesitant though, cause I feel like I've picked Sam at least two out of the three times that I've been on the <laughs> this show with you. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm torn. I, but I really, it's probably because of my home run line that I would pick him. So I'd, <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe Diane, but with the, like Sam at the end, I don't know. That's not a, a very well, clear answer though, is it? If it helps, I picked Sam for the exact same reason. Um, okay. I, I thought it, I thought it was easily between the two of them, but right. just because of his turn and the way he kind of mm-hmm. shifts and plays a very different character, but with this sort of cockiness and, and it's like it's just a, it's a very different Ted. It's it's Ted Danson playing a different person um, for that yes. thing, and I just thought that was a really cool little turn and and a demonstration yeah. of his his abilities um, without being like showy about it and everything like that. So yeah. I thought exactly, yeah. So he, yeah, he is yeah. my really the. I feel like it should be Diane, but he really is the one based on that last scene. Yeah, for just the reasons that you said. Yeah. All right. Well, you've set it up. So, what is your home run? What's your funniest or best gag in the episode? So, my very first one that I have said is, you know, it's. I don't know if it's my very favorite quote in all of Cheers, but it's certainly in the top three. Diane, do you realize that you just ended that proposition with a preposition? <laughs> It's so good because it, it's coming after she she pushes away the little the little organ or whatever that he was playing the the She's, opera on. Right, like, on the me, Let me be the instrument you play on. <laughs> and right. just, do you realize you just Diane. ended that proposition with a preposition? And he says it with such an inquisitive. It's like an inquisitively reprimanding tone. You know, it's not necessarily criticizing her, but it's almost like 
say Diane, <laughs> did you realize? <laughs> it's just, it's great. It's so great. Coming from Sam after all her corrections of him and being in the, or imagining him in the dream this way, mm. correcting her grammar, which I think stood out as bad grammar, but particularly because it was coming from Diane. Yeah. It's just the perfect line. Yeah. It's the perfect Cheers line. Yeah. And I think for her, that's the ultimate turn on, mm-hmm. probably the way he said yeah. it. But yeah. <laughs> that's true too. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, that's my that is my a number one home run line. For me, it was when Andy is pleading his case to the group and everything, and he's talking about this woman Cynthia that he's fallen in love with, and he he says it up. He's like, "There's just one little hitch," and from out of nowhere, just Norm back at the bar goes, "You killed her," <laughs> and, and everybody looks back at him, and he's just like, "What? Well, we what? weren't thinking that. Like, what?" He's like, "It could have been." He's like, "Was that out of line?" He's he's a convicted murderer. It's like. That's my second favorite one. Yeah. Just because of the the line itself and the way he says it, you killed her. Like, that's his best guess as to why they couldn't meet his fiance. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then I like the, hey, I'm smoking your ninny jacket. jacket. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's funny, too. Well, very cool. Marlene, thank you for coming back on Cheerscast and talking about this episode. Um, You are so welcome. It's been fun. Yeah. Where else can people find you if they want to hear more from you in the podcastosphere? Well, I have started, due to my enjoyment of talking about Cheers on this podcast, I've started a Cheers podcast with a friend of mine that has never seen the show before and wanted to do something where he's kind of discussing it episode by episode. So we are doing that. It's a kind of different format, different nature of discussion since he's just kind of figuring the show out. And I'm sort of, you know, reflecting back and so forth with that. And it's called Norm, a Cheers podcast. So Norm, kind of the exclamation, a Cheers podcast. Traitor. <laughs> no, it's more the inspiration, I think. No, I, I, yeah, I I'm joking with you. No, absolutely. And, mm-hmm. and folks, I, I highly recommend, if you need more Cheers podcasting in your life, check that out. I think that's great. And who doesn't need more Cheers discussion there in their go. lives? There you so, go. Yeah. All right. Thank you. That's awesome. Uh, Thank you again for being on the show. And thanks to all of you out there who listen to Cheerscast and support the show by liking and sharing on Facebook, favoriting and retweeting on Twitter, and leaving a comment on the website, fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can also support the Fire and Water Podcast Network on Patreon. Special thanks to Rick from Jeff and Rick Presents Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, who sponsors this show. For more information on how you can support your favorite shows on the Fire and Water Network, visit patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and until next time, we are closed. Sam, take me. Now. I want you put the keyboard away. And let me be the instrument you play on. Diane. Yes? Do you realize you just ended that proposition with a preposition? (laughs) 